Before COVID, back when my wife and I went to work, my son had his place to go too, daycare, and he loved it. It's there with his teachers that he's learned how to sing songs we never sung to him at home and where he learned the sound that a dinosaur makes. And for us, it was a godsend. But when shelter-in-place orders were first imposed, my son stayed home too. There were just too many unknowns. We were trying to do it all, staying present, enjoying the extra time with him. In some ways, we were in our little bubble. The extra family time was an unexpected blessing at first. But I was still running a company, so that meant being up till two in the morning to answer emails or catch up from the day. Then waking back up again at 6 a.m. when he calls for me. The schedule is rough. We kept in touch with our daycare, and when we felt it was safe, we took him back. Because honestly, he loved it. Every time he came home, he'd be exhausted and happy. So recently, he returned. He got to see his teachers again and run around in the playground. Going back to school looks a lot different for kids right now, and it might look different for a while. This week on Telescope, we're focusing on education, specifically how COVID has changed it this spring, and what it might look like going forward. We'll talk to high schoolers, college students, but today we're kicking it off with the youngest children, with a look at how early childhood education has changed because of the coronavirus. I took two other children to go wash their hands and they're like, I just washed them at home. And so then we have to sit down with them and just say, I know. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're gonna bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this moment. Our producer, Joanna Clay, has this story. Melissa Belknap is a preschool teacher in Eugene, Oregon. And she's basically a masterclass in patience. So how many pumps of soap do you need? Three. Three pumps of soap. And then we're going to do what? Wash. What, what song did we sing? She's trying to make these changes required by the pandemic, like all the extra hand washing, fun. And I mean, as a preschool teacher, she's used to pivoting, used to coming up with plan B and plan C. That's what working with little kids is all about. But she knows this pandemic isn't easy for her kiddos, as she calls them. Little kids love sharing, touching, hugging, you know, picking a booger and showing it to a friend. All the things we're basically told not to do because of COVID-19. In March, the Eugene Family YMCA, where she works, closed for a week and a half to come up with new protocols. And they had to get approval from the state to be able to take care of the children of essential workers. For the time being, those daycares, the ones serving frontline workers, are the only ones allowed to stay open in Oregon. And they need to limit the class to 10 kids or less. So in late March, Melissa opened her doors to just eight kids, less than half the size of her original class. Like any teacher, she knows the kids look to her for how to feel or act. So she's enthusiastic and kind, so the kids don't freak out. She keeps her game face on. But sometimes 
it cracks. I remember our first day back and we were uh, sitting around having lunch and we were laughing and Kelsey, who is the teacher, coughed because she just kind of choked because she was laughing. And one of the little boys, um, his name is Dylan, he was in our class before, so he was very familiar with both Kelsey and I. Um, But when Kelsey coughed, he got up and he ran away because he was really concerned that Kelsey was sick with the COVID virus. And the look on his face was heartbreaking, like Thinking about it is actually kind of uh, heartbreaking again. Dylan's reflex is the reflex we have, or likely will have, for probably a while. Someone coughs, someone goes in for a hug, someone offers a sip of their drink. These things we used to not think twice about now put us on high alert. We like to think that kids as young as Dylan, who are four or five, aren't clued in. They don't watch CNN all day or track Twitter, but they don't have to. They hear adults talking. They hear our worry. In that moment, Melissa realized she couldn't completely distract her kiddos from the world. As an adult, I'm having a hard time, you know, working through this and thinking about it from a four-year-old standpoint. Here's my teacher who, you know, I love and we're in the same room and we were having fun, but now she coughed. Does that mean that she's sick? Is she going to be okay? And so while the first day was great, it also brought a new reality of like all these really big emotions and trying to figure them out together. While a lot of school districts and universities across the country quickly chose to close their doors, early childhood educators have been left in kind of a fog. Some states ordered daycares and preschools to close. Others didn't. Some have standards set in place, like Oregon. Others, it's not as clear. Even with some guidelines from the state, daycares and preschools have been figuring things out as they go. It was like building a plane while we're flying it, because we would make a plan and then it would change. Uh, (laughs) But it was really important for us to do this for the right reasons, to provide an environment for the kids that was safe and the parents could go to work and do what they needed to do, whether it be stocking the shelves at the grocery store or taking care of sick people at the hospital, that that stress was taken away from them. The Eugene Family Y is one of the many preschools that is serving families who need it the most. The essential workers who never stopped heading into work, endangering their lives in hospitals and grocery stores. The first day back at the Y included some changes to keep everyone safe. Families couldn't just walk into the building and drop their kids off. Instead, they're stopped at the door and given kind of a pop quiz. The kiddos get met at the door and they get asked a series of questions of like, how are you feeling today? Do you feel sick? Have you been in contact with anybody that's um, tested positive or showing symptoms of COVID? And I mean, these kiddos are like between two and a half and five years old. So these are some really, really tough questions. So a lot of times, obviously, the parents will answer them, but then they'll step in. Um, We have a marked X on the floor where they step in and we take their temperature before they even officially come into the building. And then the person at the door says, "Okay, say bye to mom and dad, and then walks them to our classroom. 
Before COVID, the families used to come inside, chatted with each other or the teachers while the kids got situated. It's long been the case that some preschoolers find it hard to say goodbye at drop-off. But now, kids have to walk in without their parents. And some of these kiddos have never even been inside the Y before. They may never have stepped foot inside the building before. So now these families are entrusting us with their children and hoping that their day is going to look safe and secure and they're going to be happy in this totally, like, stressful time. Before the pandemic, Melissa taught about 20 kids. Preschool is about getting them ready for kindergarten. There's some basic school stuff, to be sure. Spelling their own name, learning simple sentences, and counting to 25. They get a hang of voicing their feelings and opinions. But it's also plenty of playing. In the fall, they took a field trip to a pumpkin patch. Or in the winter, they had a swimming lesson with Santa. The vibe of the Y is friendly. Eugene is known for its nature, covered in trees. So it sort of feels like a summer camp. So we'll have members, you know, watching us walk to swimming. And they're like, oh, are you guys going to go play tennis today? And the kids are like, no, we're going to swimming lessons. I'm going to jump off the diving board today. They're learning to tell another person what they're doing, have the ownership to their skills. They're strengthening their social skills. So maybe when they're leaving the Y next time, they're like, oh, there's Miss Maggie. Bye, Maggie. It's nice to see you today. And just that community feeling that we have here at the Y. But now there's not as many folks around the Y. While some stuff has reopened, like the gym, the pool's closed, there's less people around, and it feels a little different. And her class is different. She has a few new kids and a few kids she had before, but the majority of her regulars, the kids she spent the beginning of the school year with, are at home. And for the kids who are here, the classroom has some new rules. So we have lots of blue tape all over our floor and and on our carpet. And everywhere is like a blue X. And it gives you an example of where you can stand or where you could sit on the carpet and play with toys where you're six feet away from your friends. Everyone has their own spot, their own desk, their own bin, which is cleaned and stored away after class. Sharing, such a big part of preschool, is on pause for now. They'll have to learn that lesson later. And at the beginning of the day, you can pick out, you know, three or four things that you want to play with, and then those will be at your desk. So it's very different in that regard of, like, where we would really encourage that social piece and sharing and communicating with peers, you know, on a really intimate level, you know, you're sitting right next to your friend, and now instead of maybe six people at a table, there's two people at a table. She and the other staff wear masks, cute masks. Mine today is a ladybug one. I also have a mermaid one, which I'm pretty fond of. And they're fun. I mean, and they should be fun because, uh, like, hey, I love your mask today because why not? Instead of swims, they now take nature walks. There are a lot of woods and parks around the Y. It's common for neighbors to roll down their windows and say hi. And for a moment, it's like it's a normal day. When we're going for a walk in nature, we don't have to worry about what's going on with COVID. We don't have to worry about any of that. 
we're looking for bugs and we're finding a walking stick and we're looking at the blue jade that just flew in front of us. So it's kind of a break from reality. (laughs) The kids may not worry about coronavirus the way adults do, but they still miss certain things, like sharing their snacks with each other. It was definitely really difficult, um, especially for those kiddos who were in my class before, where they could share these things and they could sit next to their friend at lunch. So they had a really difficult time understanding what it was going to be going for. This adjustment is what preschools and daycares across the country are grappling with. How do we create a safe space for kids that's also nurturing and exciting for them? Dr. Depesh Navsaria is a pediatrician and a member of the Executive Committee of the Council on Early Childhood at the American Academy of Pediatrics. He's used to fielding questions from parents who are wondering when it's safe to send their child back to preschool or daycare during a pandemic. He counsels them to be flexible. I think the realistic way to look at this is to recognize that let's not set up impossible situations for children or for the adults around them, whether it's parents or, you know, early childhood educators or whatever. It's almost ridiculous to, like, try to to conceive of giving people a rule like, well, do not allow the toddlers in your room to hug. I mean, that's that's just ludicrous, right? We have to accept that getting four- and five-year-olds to social distance, it's kind of a pipe dream. Hugs, food sharing, it's going to happen. And so I think rather than saying, don't allow them to do that, a better scenario would be to say, okay, we're only going to allow early childhood classroom sizes of no more than, say, 10. There are other ways to limit the spread of coronavirus, too. And we're not going to allow them to play with other classrooms um, like we used to. Doing things like that, which are much more controllable, will allow, will take away the stress. And also, frankly, it allows for quote-unquote mistakes, right? It's not like one kid hugging another is going to instantly cause them to get, develop COVID-19. A tiny number of kids, though, really do have to avoid daycare for now. Kids with compromised immune systems or with underlying conditions might need to stay home until there's a vaccine. But for a lot of families, going back to daycare or preschool is okay, as long as they ask some questions first. If they say to you, we 100% guarantee your child will be safe, well, that's actually kind of crazy, right? That's no human activity is 100% safe. So what I would look for more is, have they been thoughtful about it? What are the steps that they can point to that they've taken around class sizes, cleaning procedures, whatever? Uh, You don't need to review every last thing. When it comes to the impact these COVID measures have on kids, he said it's hard to say. There hasn't been research to say whether there's developmental consequences down the line. We don't know the effects of some preschoolers being told not to touch each other or not play near each other or being home without any interaction with other kids. We just don't know yet. But kids are resilient. Stressful circumstances, adverse exposures to young children, this has actually gone on in our country for a long time, a a really long time. 
People are stunned when I tell them that as recently as I think 2014 or so, don't quote me on the exact year, but that's about right, um, 42% of U.S. children lived below 200% of the federal poverty line. What he's saying is COVID isn't the first stressor that American kids have faced. Suddenly there's a lot more people who are dealing with a lack of resources, a lack of availability, etc., that traditionally have been in higher income categories than others. So we need to recognize that the stuff that we're now seeing or that's being talked about in the media and so on have actually been challenges for young children all along. We just haven't been willing to see it. We haven't been willing to see it. And now, with the pandemic, these disparities are bubbling up. We're seeing it in the long lines at food banks, highlighting the many families that rely on free school lunches to feed their children, or the parents struggling to balance care for their kids while working full-time jobs, or maybe they lost their jobs and are dealing with that stress on top of their kids' care. In California, daycares were urged to stay open during the pandemic. California Governor Gavin Newsom has said he wants providers to stay open. The bottom line is we need our child care facilities, our daycare centers to operate to absorb the magnitude of the impacts of these school closures. But for daycare operators like Tanya Garcia, staying open wasn't really a choice. Tanya runs Angelica's Daycare in Hollywood. It was founded by her mom, Angelica, 30 years ago. In mid-March, Los Angeles Unified School District, the second largest school district in the U.S., announced it was closing all schools until further notice. She remembers that Monday after the announcement, she and her staff showed up to work where they'd normally be greeted by 28 smiling faces. But no kids showed up, not one. And it just kind of broke our hearts because we didn't really have any answers for our um, employees, you know, that, that came to work. We didn't know, you know, whether to tell them, yeah, come back next week, come back in two weeks, come back next month, come back tomorrow. You know, we just didn't know. So we just kind of, you know, we, we played it day by day, as I'm sure every other business did. You know, we're not the only ones. Tanya understood parents were scared. She and her family were scared too. And they didn't know how long this could last. So she had to make the tough decision to lay off some staff. We just knew, we, we, we told our women like, hey, you know what, just file for unemployment for now. We don't have an exact time when you can come back, but when we do, obviously you can come back. Tanya runs the daycare with her mom and siblings. To get kids back, they needed a plan in place. A new drop-off routine, cleaning supplies, smaller groups. Then maybe families would be comfortable returning. All throughout April, we just kept in touch with seeing who really needed the daycare, who really didn't, who could wait. And um, when we had the list of at least five, then we were like, okay, let's open now and figure it out from there. On May 4th, Angelica's daycare reopened its doors, welcoming six kids, all children of essential workers. Oh, Solo and Alec are here. Angelica, you have your mask? I do. You have the thermometer? Hi guys! Hi, guys. Hi, how are you? Good. Elbow tap. Let me see. Elbow tap. Elbow tap. Nice. Okay, Angelica, you want to check their taps? Let me see. They wash their hands a lot. They kill me. Nice. Good job. You wash your hands at home, huh? Yeah. All right. Good job. 
And for some of the kids, these changes are kind of annoying. For example, this morning, I took two of the children to go wash their hands, and they're like, I just washed them at home. And so then, I, you know, I, we have to sit down with them and just say, I know, but again. Working with little kids comes with a lot of highs and lows. One minute, they're tugging on your pant leg, telling you how much they love you. The next, they're having a meltdown because someone took their block. But kids also have this amazing ability to stay present in the moment. Before the pandemic, dancing was a big part of daycare. And when she hits play on the stereo, the kids still boogie just like they did before. Two, three-year-olds love to dance. That is their thing. And that's, that's helped us so much because, you know, we're like, yeah, let's dance. Let's play some music. And everybody just dance. And, and so it's like they all kind of just wherever they are, they stop what they're doing. And then just, you know, they feel like they're together but separate. And I mean, they're little kids. So although they know they're supposed to keep space around them, they can't help but feel the energy and touch a friend's arm or maybe giggle a little too close to a friend's face. But you know, like Dr. Navsaria said, that's okay. We have to be gentle with ourselves. Give a little reminder and move on. Tanya can see how grateful the kids are to be back. They're trying hard to be kind, to follow the rules, One of her moms is a teacher and called her asking if she could drop off her four-year-old. She called me on Friday and she says, hey, my four-year-old is going crazy here and I don't know what to do. I I want him to be in an environment where there's other children, when there's teacher, when there's structure. And she's like, I can't provide that here at home when I'm trying to do Zoom classes myself. She brought him in today, and um, he was so happy. He was just so happy to be around, and he was in his best behavior. And he w- you can just tell that he was like, this is where I want to be, you know? Tanya is a positive person. She's always looking on the bright side. But she worries about what will happen to the daycare if it stays this small. With less than a dozen kids, that's less than half they had before. So lately, they've been talking through worst-case scenarios or backup plans. Honestly, like, if if this continues to just stay with just a little bit of children, then we're going to have to, like, look for essential jobs because we can't, like, not make money and just kind of live off seven children that are coming in. Even if she had to get a second job, she and her siblings plan to keep the doors open because she knows how special this place is. My best friend, we've known each other for... 30 years because she was one of the first families that my mom um, had when she opened a daycare. And now my kids have their friends and I'm always encouraging it. I'm like, yeah, these are your friends. These can be your friends forever. These are lifetime friends. I think the hardest part for Tanya and for Melissa are the unknowns. What if it stays small? What if a vaccine is a year or more away? 900 miles away, back in Eugene, Melissa misses the kiddos who had to stay home. They rushed out that day in March before they could even process what was going on or say goodbye. Recently, she sent them a note about how graduation would be different this year. There wouldn't be a big ceremony with cake. They wouldn't all play in the playground together after. But Melissa did what she does best. She pivoted. 
The other day, she piled onto a big blue bus. We did a graduation parade, and so we took a Y bus around to every single one of our kiddos' houses, all 20 of them, and took them their graduation certificate. Some parents took videos. And in one, a five-year-old girl named Brinley is so excited to see the bus coming up the street that she's practically jumping in place. She screams her name as Melissa and another staffer step out with a string of gold balloons that spells, congrats. How you doing? Congratulations on graduating. She spends about 30 seconds at a distance and then she can't help it. She runs up to Melissa and embraces her. We really wanted to end the year on a positive note. So those kiddos who I haven't seen since March 12th, I got to see today and it was so fantastic. It was great. It wasn't the goodbye Melissa planned for, but she had the chance to tell them one last time how much they meant to her. And that meant a lot. Special thanks to Melissa and Tanya for sharing their stories and to Dr. Navsario for his expertise. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Every week, we talk about how the pandemic has impacted our lives. And we thought today, we'd end the episode a little differently, with Melissa's class explaining why being safe right now is so important. Why do you think we wear a mask, Dylan? So we don't get people in germs. So, so we don't cough, pe- cough on people when, we get, when, when, they get, when they have germs on us. Mm-hmm. All those confusing germs. That's why we might be eating in smaller groups and staying home more. I want to go to the sushi place right now! I want to go to that sushi place too, man. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. Today's episode was produced and reported by Joanna Clay. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis and Vikram Patel. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear in this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. You can join our Facebook group by searching for Telescope. If you like this show, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We want to stay connected with you during this unprecedented time in our history, so please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you wish to share with us, email us at pitches at neonhome.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. We'll see you on Wednesday. <laughs>